Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Uh, This morning, I am going to chat with you a bit about one of the most confusing parable stories, I think, in the Gospels. And before we turn there and begin reading it, I just want to set up a little kind of some preliminaries so that you uh, hopefully can stay with me as I'm uh, sharing this. It is known as the parable of the unrighteous steward, but I think that's a really bad rap, a bad title, and I would offer you instead the title of the the, uh, worldly wise steward and what he set up for himself. Now you will very quickly discover as we're reading that, he, that Jesus is using this parable to talk about money. But as with all things when Jesus speaks them, it's not really just about what it looks like on surface. And Jesus is trying to help his followers uh, learn how to navigate things in the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that Jesus is trying to help people understand How can I become a spiritually influential, impactful person? How can I be somebody who grows and matures in the things of God so that when I live my life, the things that I say and so forth really make a difference in the lives of other people? Now, again, I just want to say, even though the subject is money, you will discover at the end of the parable that I'll be reading that Jesus brings up this notion of two kingdoms and two masters. And he says that you cannot serve two masters because you will either love one and hate the other or you will love this one and hate that one. There are two kingdoms, two masters, and they give exactly opposite advice. And Jesus is going to help his friends and help us understand how do we make a choice that's really going to make a difference in the lives of others. So if you do have your Bible, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and I do believe it's going to be here for us, yes, on the screen. Okay. So pardon me, I'm going to be looking down and reading this. I'm not ignoring you, but you have it up there. So Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And so he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What am I going to do? Since uh, my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm, I'm ashamed to beg I know what I will do, he says, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So let me just pause there to say that here is a man who is being confronted. And when he is about to lose this, uh, this place, this position that he has had in this house, he realizes, I've got to do something to secure my future. Because when he did an honest self-evaluation, realized, I I, I don't have what it takes on my own. 
in order to have the future that I want to have, so I better learn or I better exercise uh, how the world works and how I can make a place for myself in the future. So that's his situation. He realizes on my own I don't have enough resource to secure my future, to set up my future, and if I have any hope at all, I'm going to have to play the system the way that it works. I'm going to have to bring advantage to myself by utilizing the way that this world works. Okay? So he says, uh, I know what I'll do. And so uh, he, let's see, he summoned his master's debtors one by one, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, yeah, a hundred measures of oil. And the steward said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. And then he said to another, well, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Can you kind of see why this is a bit confusing? Because it sounds as though Christ is saying, just go ahead, cheat your boss, way to go, you nailed that one. Why would Jesus praise the unrighteous steward, or again, as I prefer, the worldly wise steward? And let's read why it was that the master was praising this man, not that Jesus himself is praising this man, but the master was. Um, okay, so, uh, let's see. Um, <clears throat> For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or mammon, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Okay, that's what Jesus says. Now, it will help us, I think, to understand, as I said earlier, that there really are these two kingdoms, two ways in which things work. And there is the one true God who oversees the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom that we are all hoping is going to be a part of our great future. But there is a kingdom of this world. And though the, the scriptures that we were reading is using this word uh, wealth or, or, or money, the actual word there is mammon, the name of a demonic force or power. We would refer to it as an idol or a, 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 another god, small g, god. And the one true god says certain things, he makes commands, he makes promises, and the false god of mammon will say just the opposite. For instance, uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of God and everything else will be added to you. If you put me first, Jesus says, I will secure the rest of your future. But Mammon says the same words, but he means the opposite. 
Uh, you better seek me first because you don't have enough and you won't have enough of me unless you put your devotion and your attention on getting more of me. Does this make sense? Uh, Jesus says, give and it will be given. Mammon says, don't you even think about giving because nobody's going to give to you and you don't have enough as it is. And every single child of God makes a, a decision and a choice which of these kingdoms am I going to leverage? Which of them am I going to believe ultimately sets up my future? And that reminds me a bit of when I was a, a youngster, and that was so long ago, nobody can remember when it was. But when I was a kid in church, I remember hearing all this about store up for yourself treasures in heaven, and I didn't have very much. But I thought it would be really cool, as I imagined I would be storing up treasures for the future, that when I finally got to heaven, I wanted to just kind of saunter on down to celestial savings and walk in there and say, listen, I would just like to uh, see my gold. You know, I, I pictured them rolling out in a giant trolley all these gold bullions, and that would be, I don't really need it, but I just want to see it. This is so cool what I've stored up for myself in heaven. And then somewhere around my teenage years, I figured out, hey, wait a second, I think I've been conned. Because in heaven the streets are made of gold, and what on earth use am I going to have for gold if I want to buy something? I can just go down and chunk off a bit of the asphalt and bring it in and buy what I want. What kind of a rip is this? Well, of course, the scriptures weren't saying store up for yourself in this future place called heaven. They're encouraging us that if we, uh, whenever we are giving in the kingdom, we are transferring that wealth into the invisible dimension, and we don't lose access to it. We don't lose it for our future. And in fact, every bit that we invest in the kingdom returns such a tremendous uh, profit on what we do. You kind of are crazy to not give to the kingdom because those people end up with so much more than those who don't. And by the way, there is no offering coming after this message, okay? <laughs> and I'm not going to keep preaching until the offering is adequate, all right? <laughs> so I know we're talking about money, but, but not for long. We're going to get off that pretty soon. But I think you can understand then that these two gods, the one true God, says there is a way to live. And if you live according to what I teach you, you will end up having a future so much better and so much more substantial than if you live according to these other dictates. So, Jesus is, he, he makes this statement as well. He says, you know, if you haven't learned to be faithful in something as insignificant and kind of dirty and puny as money, in other words, if you haven't learned how to exercise this resource that you have and apply kingdom principles to it and function according to what the one true God has said, can you understand that that one true God is not going to be that eager to entrust to you other things that are truly even more riches than this earthly money? 
and it's a very good measure, I don't mind saying, of somebody's uh, perspective and um, kind of their, their, their understanding in kingdom matters, what they do with their money. Do they apply kingdom principles or do they live according to uh, their own? But money is certainly not the only thing that Jesus speaks to us about in the course of his ministry. I'll give you another just simple for instance. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, if I decide, yeah, I want forgiveness, but I am not going to forgive anybody else, it really isn't possible to access this future of great grace and mercy and forgiveness from God if I am not living that way. Give and it will be given to you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So we learn how to set up our future by the way in which we are behaving right now. So when the unrighteous steward or the worldly wise steward did his own self-examination and realized, I don't really have what it takes in order to make my own way, he was generous with his master's resource. He didn't own it, but he was generous with it and cut these other people uh, a slack. And when you and I are giving people, we are also exercising generosity with resources that actually aren't ours. You see, everything that we have has been given to us by God. And when we, like this unrighteous uh, steward, are just squandering this resource, we're not really even investing it in anything that's going to return, we're just kind of living hilly-nilly, you know, whatever. He's going to call and ask us to give an account and say, put into words what you have done and why you have done it. And this can be a pretty interesting exercise for each of us if we, if we articulate what is it that motivates us either to give or not to give. And if you just do that little exercise, you'll quickly see which kingdom am I functioning in? So when I am generous, when I am a giver to other people, it's really using God's resources and not my own. And that's why the master praised him. And Jesus said, oh, I wish that my kids, I wish that the people in my kingdom were as shrewd about how my kingdom works as the sons of darkness are about how their kingdom works. Because see, this man, this steward, duh, he got it. He knew that if he cut these people slack, if he forgave some of their debt, they would be so happy to greet him in the future. He knew how to work the system. And Jesus laments that his followers don't understand how the kingdom works and I personally believe that is why um, many of us don't make a lot of progress and mature in the kingdom. So if it's okay with you, I want to introduce two other subjects. We're going to get off money for just a, a moment here, and that's probably a relief. But, but two other simple examples of the many ways in the kingdom that God doesn't function like we function. 
We all know the scripture in Isaiah where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my, my ways are not your ways. But when the rubber meets the road and we start seeing just how different those are, it can be really, really challenging. So I'll just bring up, for instance, the whole notion of serving the people and the purposes of God. And when we lay ourselves down, when we humble ourselves and follow exactly the same pattern that Christ did, when he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant, that positioned him for the future of being able to be raised by God and to save the world. And you will find this principle over and over and over. The people who serve are always the people who ultimately get raised up to more spiritual leadership. And, you know, it, it, it bothers me, I'll have to say, as a pastor, there's so much talk about people who are gifted and people who are anointed. And for the normal Christian just listening to all of this, you kind of figure like it was just the luck of the draw and some people got anointed and that's why they're so amazing and some people got gifted and that's why they can do this stuff. And for those of us who are neither anointed nor gifted, we sort of figure, well, there's really not much for me to do. And I will tell you what I believe. I don't think it has anything to do with some kind of special anointing when a person gets mightily used of God. I think in behind, in the backstory of every person that, that has influenced you, every person that has had a part in your spiritual growth and development, the backstory of their life is that they've made choices to become servants rather than to be masters. They have chosen to set aside their own benefit and welfare, forgetting about themselves and focusing on benefit or good that could be done to other people. Um, you just, yeah, does that make sense? You don't have to agree with me, but that kind of makes sense. Serving, you know, the pathway to greatness in the kingdom always goes through the servants' quarters. And there will be so many things that speak to you and tell you, oh, you don't have time to serve. You're too busy. You're too this. You're too that. And I'm not trying to tell you that your schedule isn't packed, but I am telling you that kingdom principles, they take a little determination on our part to partake of. Remember when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people take it by force? That's again a kind of a confusing statement. But what he was saying is, listen, the way that things work in the kingdom, it's, it's not just, you know, okay, sirrah, sirrah. You don't just sort of waltz your way through and get a little anointing here and a little blessing there. And Oh my goodness, look at me, I'm so special. <laughs> no, kingdom stuff, here's how I picture it, a giant... Uh, wall of saran wrap. Do you have saran wrap? That No. Um, plastic wrap. Okay, you, you didn't eat everything and you're going to eat it tomorrow. And so you take that plastic stuff and, and that stuff. So I picture the kingdom of God as being, a, I'm separated from the stuff God wants me to 
participate in by a giant wall of this uh, plastic wrap. And if you're kind of a casual Christian, you sort of... It's not, you can see it out there, really special, but I can't get to it. And, and you think, oh, well, I guess I'm just different. I'm not called. I'm not anointed. I'm not, because I, I tried. I, I tried. I got nowhere. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven requires a kind of determined focus so that I, I have to press through the natural kind of stuff that wants to keep me back. And the kingdom of God doesn't really work well if I'm going to try to live it according to the natural laws that are in my mind. I have to, Jesus put it this way, he said, if anybody wants to come after me, if you want to follow me, let me tell you, you must deny yourself. And the, the expression there is better translated, you're going to have to contradict your natural tendencies. The difference between men and women who make a difference in the lives of others and those who don't has nothing to do with anointing or gifting, has everything to do with ordering our steps according to principles in the Word of God. So, the more I serve, 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that the more that I serve, we, I, I gain a, it's an it's a idiomatic expression, but I gain a confidence and a standing, meaning, if I am a quiet, silent servant over here, God like lifts me and gives my voice a carrying power that, that goes far beyond what otherwise would be the case. When I serve, God uses me in the future, uses you to do amazing things. But the most particular thing that I wanted to share with you this morning, this is what's uh, mostly on my heart for you, is in some ways more difficult to talk about than money. And it is the subject of surrender. When I say surrender, I'm not talking about being defeated. I'm not talking about quitting. I'm not talking about giving up. I am talking about a very intentional choice that I make, that you make, when I am faced with things that everything inside of me wants to rise up and fight against, that I make a choice to surrender myself to God and to His purposes. And that is not an easy or a comfortable thing for us to do. But I want to take you to two passages that, uh, to me, really uh, communicate this very well. So the first is in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and you can see it here on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, 
And here's the principle. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Now, most of us would take that last little phrase and we, we would extrapolate it to, to be meaning just if I choose to follow Christ, then I will go to heaven. And that is a true statement. But Jesus is trying to help people understand, his followers, the very people into whose hands he has entrusted this ministry of reconciliation, the very people who are going to go and turn the entire world upside down, and he is explaining to them that there will be many situations where you will have a choice. I mean, sometimes you don't. You get martyred. You don't really have a choice. But there's so many times when I do have a choice, will I lay down my life and die? Or will I remain alone and unfruitful by expending my energies to preserve myself and make sure nobody takes advantage of me. You know, God is not like a, how would I say, a, he's not like a secret hitman that when you and I are facing opposition, we can pray, oh God, get him. Just nail him, oh God, I'm getting so much trouble from them. Step in for me and womp on those people. This is not a prayer that God answers. We don't use the power of God to knock everybody down so that we can live this little charmed life. No, we are called for the purpose of being Christ-like and he surrendered his life, but he understood the principle that after dying, the seed becomes fruitful. And if I do not go through that dying process, if I don't consciously decide in these various situations, Lord, I'm not going to try to preserve my life, I'm going to surrender myself to you, we will remain relatively unfruitful. But the scripture that was most on my heart is in John chapter 10. Yeah, I mean, you can feel the personal statement of Jesus. He says, you want to know why the Father loves me? This is the thing about me that he loves the most. I mean, we know he's God's only son. Of course, the Father loves him. But it's not an accident that Jesus is going to highlight a very specific fact about himself. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. You know, the afterlife, I don't think, is just after we physically die, but there is available to us as daughters and sons of God an access to an after-I-die life in this life. And that's where spiritual maturity grows. That's what gives someone kingdom substance, is that after they have lived the way God wanted them to live, that afterglow, that afterlife, 
is what becomes so remarkable to other people and becomes so impactful. And so he says, this is why he loves me, because I lay down my life. And do you understand, if I lay down my life, I also can pick it back up. And people who do not surrender, people who do not lay down their life, never have anything to pick back up. All of their energy is expended in defending themselves so that this life doesn't end. And Jesus says it then very clearly. Nobody takes this from me. You see, when God brings you to these little decision points, it isn't that you get beat up at work or that that promotion that you were supposed to get got taken. No, no. This is when I choose to surrender. And he says, I have the authority to lay my life down. Do you know, friends, that that is the most significant authority that you have as a Christian? It makes me crazy, these people that talk about the authority. <laughs> you know, like, calm down, please. My authority is not the right to tell you what to do in the name of the Lord. My authority, your authority, I can choose to lay down my life anytime I want. And nobody has a greater authority over my own life than I do. And do you see, when I'm trying to fight against those things that are trying to overwhelm me, I'm actually granting them an authority that God means for me to have. And people of substance, godly men and women, are people who have exercised that kind of spiritual authority. And because they have done that, their words and the things that they do have an impact that the words of people who have never laid down their life don't have. But Jesus said, oh, I have the authority to lay it down. And that's what gives me the authority to pick it back up. Friends, it is the afterlife authority that God wants to build in us. And I don't know what your situation is, obviously. I don't know the particulars of your life. And I, I hope no one here would misunderstand me to be saying that, yeah, if you're in a, 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 an abusive situation, you know, just be a godly person and, and you know, stick with it. I, I, I'm not counseling craziness. But you will discover, if you open your ears over the next days or weeks, there will be very, very specific opportunities for you to choose to lay your life down rather than to rise up and to fight. Jesus lamented the fact that his children didn't understand how his kingdom works. He wished that we would be as clever in being able to work the system of the kingdom of God as well as the sons of darkness were. I want to be a person who learns how to function 
in these very simple but very powerful spiritual principles. And almost always, I mean, this is what we take away, <laughs> almost always the things where you and I seek our own advantage, they almost always work against us. But any time we are thinking about others and doing for the sake of other people, it builds something inside of us that is so, so powerful. And we, we sang that song earlier, I'm not going to bow to any idols. And it would be just a really good gut check for each of us to ask ourselves, is it possible that in how I'm trying to live my life, that instead of living according to the simple dictates of Scripture that encourage me to give, that encourage me to serve, that encourage me to forgive, that encourage me to surrender, instead of living according to that, I'm trying to leverage somehow kingdom principle, I mean, uh, Bible verses or something, to protect myself. Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to hang on to. He let go of his position and his standing so that he could come down to the furthest, lowest place of being a bondservant. And because he did that, God raised him up so that he could change the world. Of course, you and I don't have that kind of power, but we can follow in that same sort of example. So, Lord, I ask, teach me to be generous with your resources. Remind me that anything that I give for the sake of other people, I don't lose, but you will take care of me. And, Lord, make me more of a servant. Make me, instead of finding reasons why I cannot serve other people, let me be a little more determined and even arm wrestle with my own schedule, arm wrestle with my own emotions that just want to protect myself. God, show me how I can lay my life down to serve others. And when those times come, O oh Lord, when I have to choose between staying alive at all costs, or laying down and surrendering so that I can bear more fruit. Give me the courage to do what you bid me to do. I wonder if I could just pray for you right now, if that would be uh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that your uh, ways truly are not our ways. And I know that there are so many uh, of us who have felt disadvantaged by life and the situations that we're in just seem so, so very, very difficult. But thank you, Lord, that the kind of victory that you lead us in is not just when you intervene miraculously and change very bad situation. We thank you for that. But, Lord, thank you also that your victory is that we can surrender instead of being defeated. And I ask, Lord, for the men and women in this room that when you uh, bring them, uh, bring to their mind or uh, bring them in situations and they realize that you are asking them to trust you, to surrender not to an enemy or to a foe, but to surrender to your purposes and your plans for their life. Lord, break the lie that says to us, if we 
don't stay on top of things, we will never end up where you want us. And instead, Lord, help us to be people who lay down our life, who exercise that authority that we may then uh, pick our lives back up. Help us to live, O oh God, in the afterlife of surrender. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.